Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. This morning's message is entitled, Am Not Moved. Am Not Moved. The reason why it feels like maybe there's something missing on the front end of that statement is because I'm hoping by the end of our service this morning that you will be able to say, I am not moved. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It says, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. This is Paul as we continue our study. And he says in verse 18, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Paul, as you remember from last week's study, remember uh, how falling asleep in church can be dangerous. And it can be fatal. And Paul is now coming around on his missionary journey and he comes back to Miletus or he comes to Miletus, sends back to to Ephesus and he says to them, you know the type of person that I am. You know, you know. Paul was a very open person. He was very transparent. What you saw was what you got. He wasn't one of the, the people that would be stereotypical for living in Orange County maybe. Maybe trying to pretend to be somebody that you're not. Or maybe concern more with what other people think than what God thinks. To try to have an air of maybe wealth or status or coolness or whatever you want to say. See, he had a relationship with the members of his church. The people knew him. And there was no doubt in anyone's mind that Paul not only talked the talk, but walked the walk. You know me. You know me, he says. From the first day that I arrived, you have seen how I live. I love the King James Version, particularly verse 18, how it reads. And sometimes it's a little discouraging, a little difficult reading the King James Versions with the thou, thee, thou art, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for some people, it's not a big deal. However, I love the translation of the King James in verse 18. He says, you know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. At all seasons. This is a very unique way of saying you've seen how I've lived and responded, not only in the seasons of ease, but also when the seasons have changed and they become difficult. You've seen me in the good and in the bad. You've seen the different seasons of my life and you have seen who I truly am. Now, for most of us, the closest we ever get to this type of relationship is through marriage. You have seen it all. Everything. Bad hair days? Oh, good breath days. Happy, sad, frustrated, at peace. Nice moods and, uh, let's just say, not so nice moods. Like, you have seen who I really am, and you have seen how I react in different circumstances. You've seen how I live. You have seen how I respond. And see, over time, you get to know someone and how they react in certain situations. See, getting to know someone can be great, or it can be really sad. You think, man, I love to get to know you. Well, if that person ends up being who you think you are, you know, who think they are, then that would be a really, really nice person to get to know. You know, like the woman that came into uh, the main office of the church, and there she saw a young pastor working at the front desk taking phone calls. And as she was filling out her prayer card, 
she looked up and she said, excuse me, uh, do you know what time it is? And just as she asked that, she noticed that there was a little clock on the wall. And it said 1.40. And she said, oh, great, it's only 1.40. I have plenty of time to get back to watch my favorite TV program. And just as he was saying that, he mentioned and said, actually, I'm really sorry. It's not 1.40, it's actually 2.40. It's daylight savings time, and we forgot to change that clock ahead. Little, little did the pastor know how she would react when he apologized and said that, I'm sorry, the clock's not changed. She proceeded to take her pen that she was filling her prayer card out with and began stabbing the counter and grinding it into the wood. That poor young pastor was actually Garrett Beeler. <laughs> Getting to know someone. Whoa! Uh, that's not really what I'm looking for. Uh, goodbye. See you later. Reacting in different types of circumstances under different levels of pressure. Getting to know someone can be good or not so good. Paul says, you've seen how I've lived. You see how I've conducted myself and you've seen the things I've gone through and how I've responded in those different types of scenarios. Getting to know someone's motivation. Someone's character is something that happens over time and in different seasons. So Paul says, since the beginning, you've known me and how I have, verse 19, serve the Lord with all humility. Serving the Lord with all humility. Now in the Greek, now I, I thought about this recently when I say, and in the Greek, that some of you might be like, why in the world does he always say, and in the Greek? Why doesn't he say, and in the Spanish translation, or and in the Japanese version? Like, why does he always say in the Greek? Well, because the New Testament that we're reading from was originally written in Greek. And so when you study the Greek language, there are certain nuances and certain just like loaded words that the Greek language has that we don't possess. Like, say, love, for instance. I can say I love my wife, and I love surfing, and I love sleeping, and I love my dog. But I can tell you that I don't love my dog the same way I love my wife. But yet, in English, that's the only word that we have. See, the Greek language is a beautiful language, and it has a lot of words that describe just an enormous amount of feelings, emotions, and they're very descriptive. But he says, serving the Lord with all humility. In the Greek, the word there in verse 19, serving, is the word douluo. And it actually means submitted unto the Lord and serving with all humility. And remember, serve. Paul was a servant by choice. He was a slave by choice. He chose to follow the Lord. He submitted himself. And again, I like how the King James puts it in verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. So he says, I've served with all humility. The King James would say, humility of mind. Now, the word for humility in the Greek is an amazing six-syllable word. It actually is tupainai frasune. And it's a very, very long word that literally means having a humble opinion of oneself and a deep sense of one's moral littleness. Tupai frasune. Tupai frasune. This humility of mind. That I don't think of myself in a cocky and arrogant way. 
I am not puffed up. I actually have a very good grasp of my inadequacies, my shortcomings, my failures, and my own, as it says, moral littleness. So he's serving the Lord with all humility. He's humble. And not only just humble externally, but he's, he's humble in his mind. He has a sense of humility that's deeper than the external. Paul would write to the church in Rome, in Romans 12, verse 3, he says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. See, when we are not thinking clearly, we are not thinking humbly. We're not thinking clearly when we're not thinking humbly. If we're not thinking from a place of humility, then we're not thinking correctly. So how does Paul open this section of Acts 20? He says, serving the Lord humbly. I'm serving the Lord humbly. You guys know me. You know how I live. And I'm telling you, this has been my M.O. to serve the Lord with humility and not to think of myself higher than I ought to think. Serving the Lord humbly is the right action coupled with the right attitude. See, Paul saw himself as a servant of the Lord. And I think this is such an important outlook on life for the Christian. Because some people are looking, even in the church, for position. For position. One of the elders in our church, who is my elder and, and has, has, is a friend and, and a godly man, who I recently had breakfast with, said this. He said, if someone's looking to serve, God has that person. If they're looking for a position, God does not. And so often it's the case where people are looking for a position not just to serve. So their whole attitude is not where it should be. That's why we as a church want to make sure that, hey man, I just have a heart to serve, whatever it is. Because some people, they might say, hey, I have a heart to serve, I'll do whatever. But then when it comes down to it, nope, I didn't mean really whatever. I meant something that was more public, you know, more in the front, you know, not this behind the scenes setting up, you know, uh, windows and, you know, setting up, you know, sound equipment, not that kind of stuff. I'll never forget hearing an usher at an Easter service at the Verizon Wireless Amphitheater being upset about how he was ushering in the nosebleed section and that his services were best used up in the front. See, if we're looking for a position, then we're not where we should be. If we're looking to serve, then we know that God has us. See, the person who has come into contact with the one true and living God has no room for pride or entitlement. I deserve this. I should be there. What? That guy? Are you kidding me? How is that guy? I've been here a lot. Of... Wait a second. Wait a second. That's not right. My pastor who is... Home of the Lord, the late Pastor Chuck Smith said, and I quote, No man can have, a true, can have a true encounter with God and still maintain a prideful position, end of quote. I don't know if you know this, but most of the men in leadership in this area and around the country, even including myself, ran from the idea of being in charge of something or on stage. I remember, like, like, Jack Hibbs, I consider him a good friend and a mentor. Great pastor. I mean, he taught children's ministry. 
Chuck had Jack Ibbs, you know, doing children's ministry because if you can teach kids, you can teach anybody. And now, I mean, the guy's on the news and, and he's got one of the largest churches, in, you know, in America. I mean, th- th- these guys didn't go looking for it. They didn't seek it out. They didn't even ask for it. But they rather, what happened, had something change inside of them in their hearts and they knew that they needed to be involved and served and serve. And then once that happened, the Lord opened doors for more opportunities. Serving the Lord with all humility, it says in verse 19, but with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Many tears. Now I love what tears in the Greek actually means. It means tears. (laughs) Weeping. Crying out to God. Why is this happening? Why am I going through this, God? Why? I've been hurt. I've been put down. I've been backstabbed. I've been demoralized. I've been discouraged. Why, Lord? Can't there be something else? You know, why? Literally, he says, with tears. Having friends betray him. People that he confided in him. You know, they they said they, they had his back just at the right angle to stab him in it. People that, that, that he once associated with wanted nothing to do with him. Being arrested, being beaten, being you know, stoned to death, and then, as the Bible says, coming back to life. You know, things that were painful physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. See, going through terrible trying times, times of proving your fidelity or integrity, your virtue, your constancy, these these tears that, that we shed as human beings. Some maybe more than others, but the difficulty remains the same. Trying times, serving the Lord with humility, with many tears and trials. Trials. Where the condition of your circumstances and mental state would entice you to sin or to lapse from faith and holiness. Where it's like, man, I'm going through these difficult times. Why should I even follow the Lord? I might as well just give in and sin. I might as well just do whatever. Because you know Satan entices you just like that. I know he does for me. And I know he does for you. Well, how do you know that? You're not a mind reader. No, because I'm actually a human being. And so are you, last time I checked. And when you live in this life and in this world, Satan, who has been studying mankind since the beginning, knows what makes us tick. And when we hit those bumpy roads, we hit those difficulties, he's right there to say, hey man, it's not working out. Head somewhere else. More fun over there. Look at those guys. They're not having any problems. Forget the faith. Forget following the Lord. Compromise your character. Compromise your convictions. Do something else. Paul says, I've served the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. People trying to kill him. In verse 20, yet he says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house group to house group. Actually, it doesn't say group in there. But it says from house to house. That's why we have our public setting here on Sunday mornings. And that's why, biblically based, we are having house groups. 
because we're going to teach from house to house. And we're going to grow in that way, just as they did in the early church. But he says, in light of all these things, these difficulties, these trials, through the people plotting to try to kill me, he says, I've kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and privately. From verse 20, I can tell you that show and tell is the best way for people to learn. Show and tell. I show you by the way I live. I don't just talk about it. I live it. So he says, I've proclaimed it to you. I've taught you. I've gone publicly. I've preached. I've gone house to house. You know who I am. But what a contrast. As it says in verse 20, how he says, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Look at the contrast from Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Paul, formerly known as Saul, in Acts 8, verse 3, it says, But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And now he's going to house to house, telling people about Jesus and building the people up and teaching them the ways of the Lord. And he was going from house to house, holding not one good thing back from them as he proclaimed and he taught them, testifying, verse 21, to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn toward God. You, that means you cannot go toward sin and toward God at the same time. I have to turn from going towards sin in order to go towards God. And he says, repentance, turning to the Lord. Faith, I put my faith in Jesus. I believe in Him as my Lord and Savior. I trust in Him. I've been forgiven of my sin. In verse 22 it says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Paul knew in the deepest part of his heart that he was to go to Jerusalem. He knew in his spirit that he was to do the very thing that he was about to do. If only we could be so tied, so bound, so fastened, so close to the Lord that we live our lives led by him even if we do not know where we need to go or what might happen that we would be bound in our spirit to the direction, to the Holy Spirit leading us. The Lord moving. I'm a servant of the Lord. I serve humbly. And as a servant of the Lord, I'm only concerned. I'm only concerned with doing the will of my Master. I don't know exactly how this is going to play out. Except in verse 23, it says that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. You might think to yourself, man, this guy's a great guy. He's humble. He's not arrogant, you know, because we in society love to see the arrogant guy blow it. Oh, that guy's so cocky. I'm just waiting for him to mess up. And we take some kind of satisfaction out of that. <laughs> Goes around, comes around. Right, buddy? You know, this isn't Paul. It's like, man, the guy's humble. He's helping people. In the midst of his own trials and difficulties, he's actually going around and, and speaking house to house, teaching people publicly, ignoring his own fears, his own problems, and he's helping people. And now he, he says, I'm bound in my spirit to go in this direction, but the only thing I know, I don't really know 
what's going to actually happen except that the Holy Spirit tells me that uh, tribulations and chains await me. The word tribulations in verse 23 in the Greek is a word that's pronounced thlipsis. And it it mainly means crushings. Crushings. After hearing that, maybe you're like, uh, I don't necessarily feel so bound in the spirit to that idea after all. You know, crushings, chains, tribulations. A, uh, you know, you know let me, let's, let's have a little space here. He says, I'm bound to this. This crushing, these tribulations. The word thlipsis is, is the type of crushing that takes place when a rock squishes an olive to get a drop of oil out of it, as the original translation would Share with us to be crushed, tribulation. Now, as we head into verse 24, which is our key verse this morning, let's read along together. You don't have to read out loud, but read along as I read the complete thought beginning at verse 18. And when they had come to him, Paul said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing that was helpful back, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and and to Greeks, repentance towards God and, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. This is heavy, man, this morning. Verse 19, we see he serves the Lord with humility and he has a humble opinion of himself through tears and trials. He serves. In verse 20, living and showing and teaching and helping others with the good that they needed. In verse 21, preaching the gospel. Verse 22, having deep convictions and trust in God, not knowing what good may happen. And verse 23, knowing that bad will. But verse 24 is remarkable as he says, but none of these things move me. What? You just said the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await you. But he says in verse 24, but none of these things move me. I am not moved by any of those things. As we look back on what Paul has said, there's three things that I want to point out to you. Number one is Paul's mental state. Mental state. One of service and humility, not of pride. Not thinking of himself higher than he ought to think. Paul's mental state was that of Jesus. As Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, which ironically means the place of the olive press, where Jesus was so pressed, so crushed, that he sweat great drops of blood. Jesus said, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Paul's mental state, his thoughts were for the well-being of others, not worrying about what will happen to himself. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, 
Isaiah writes and says, You, Lord, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. The quickest way to lose your peace is to focus on your problems and no longer on God. The number one cause of clinical depression in the world today is self-focus. Paul's mental state was one of humility. It was one of concern for others' well-being, not his own. In his mind, he was aligned with the will of Christ. Secondly, Paul's emotional state. Even through tears and trials, uncertainty, and possibly even anxiety, Paul doesn't act emotionally. See, many times we go topsy-turvy from relying on emotions or making emotional decisions. How many things have we regretted doing because we acted on emotion? That's it. That guy's had it. Right now. And then why did I do that? Or doing something foolish. You know, my boyfriend just cheated on me. So I'm going to go hook up with this other person. Or I just lost my job and I feel so bad about it. I'm going to go do drugs. Or whatever it might be. And we act emotionally. Yes, we are emotional beings. But being controlled by our emotions is not how we are to live. Because if Paul's emotional state was controlling his decisions in the passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning, do you think he would choose to go to some place where he was going to have more problems and trials and tribulation and tears and sorrows and people plotting his death? Do you think if Paul lived his life based upon what he felt like doing, that even any of the New Testament would have been written? In Psalm 61, verse 2, the psalmist says, From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, when I am emotionally overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The rock that doesn't change. The rock that doesn't have bad days or doesn't change its stance or move its location. It's immovable. It's Jesus Christ. Paul's mental state was in alignment with the Lord. Paul's emotional state wasn't controlling his decision-making process. And then thirdly, his spiritual state. It would seem that Paul's spiritual state of being was reflected in in the two previous states. State of mind and his emotional state. He says, but none of these things move me. Not the tears, not the trials, not the chains, not the tribulations, not the uncertainty, not my emotions, not my thoughts. None of these things move me off the course that God has set me on. I am not moved. I am determined as I have ever been to continue the work that God has called me to be on. Not vacillate, not veer to the right or veer to the left because I feel like I'm having a bad day or I'm going through difficulties or I'm sorrowful, I feel depressed, I feel bummed out, I feel lonely. No, I'm not controlled by those things. I am not moved. See, Matthew 16, 25, Jesus said, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Paul had let go of his life. He had let go of his will. 
That's why he says in verse 24, but none of these things move me. Why? Because he is founded on the rock that doesn't change. He is built in Jesus. That's how he says, I am not moved. And he says in verse 24 as well, I count my life not dear to myself. I don't hold my life dear to myself. Paul had already let go of his life when he let God have control. He let go of it. Jesus said, you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. You'll find what living is all about. Not controlled by fear. And maybe in this section, if there's one thing that you, I would love for you to get and to hold on to is this. Fear is no longer an issue when your will no longer counts. Fear is no longer an issue when your will no longer counts. But I want to do this or I want to do this and I have these expectations and I got to do this thing and that thing and the other thing. Wait a second. Your will, God's will. Which one is, is that? Which one? Where are you falling into? into which category are you falling into? What, what's going on? You see, my fear is removed. My fear is no longer an issue. When my will no longer counts. Paul had lost himself to Christ. And that's where he has found himself to be truly alive. And that's where we as Christians today find ourselves saying that in light of any difficulty, any circumstance, any mental state, and any emotional state, I am not moved. I'm not moved. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. Verse 24. So that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Nothing was going to stop Paul from finishing his race. I like how he says in verse 24, my race. So that I may finish my race. He is doing what God is calling him to do and we need to do what God is calling us to do. Are you moved? Are you shaken? Are you rattled? Are you upside down? Are you frontward, backwards, whatever it might be? What, I, I can't get my bearings. Where are you right now when it comes to your relationship with God and doing what he has called you to do? Are you controlled by thoughts in your mind, controlling your thought process? Or is your mental state the mental state that the Lord would have? Where are your emotions at? Are you flying off the handle emotionally and saying things you shouldn't be saying and then doing things that you shouldn't be doing or not doing things you should be doing because you just don't feel it? Or I'm not into it. I just, I, 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 you know, I, I just don't want to do that right now. Even as it was evident with Paul, his spiritual state was the very foundation for his mental state and his emotional state. It was evident. That because his spiritual place was where it should be, he says, I'm not moved by these things that I'm not looking forward to. I mean, think about even Jesus. He knew that he was going to die on the cross, and he still went forward with it. He wasn't moved. He held fast. He stood firm. Paul finishes his race 
Let's finish our race. Furthermore, even including his ministry, he recognized that what he received from God, or what he has, he had received from God. And that was to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. You receive something. God has given it to you. Hold fast. Don't let the mental or the emotional state cause you to swerve or to go awry, to go off, off, off course. And hopefully, starting today for each of us, we can all say, as Paul did, regardless of what we're going through, I am not moved. I'm not moved. Whatever this world throws at me, I am not moved. Remember that and hold on to that from this day forward.